so this is the last days on fallen earth number 10. We're going to step out of Daniel for a week because about a month ago, dad said that when uh, I have the, all three services, I should, I should do Ezekiel 38 um, and 39. And uh, that is coming. That is a prophecy that is coming. There's 1,800 prophecies in the Bible approximately. 80% of them have been fulfilled. Today we are looking at a war that is prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Really to do it justice, it's two sermons. I'm trying to get this in one sermon. But at least you will know about it. At least you know this is on the horizon. I don't know if this is in the fall. I don't know if this is in the spring. But this is coming. Just some groundwork for that. Uh, Jesus, Matthew 24 um, one, I believe one through three, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, well tell us when shall these things be? And, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and a sign of the end of the world? So the disciples are asking three questions. All the disciples wrote, that wrote the Gospels touched on this conversation. Uh, there's coinciding with this, this, the conversation. Luke writing about this conversation in Luke 21, uh, verse 6. As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon uh, another that shall not be thrown down. This Jesus is prophesying that the Roman Emperor Titus sacking the temple in 70 AD, throwing it down, taking Jerusalem. Uh, Luke 21 7, they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what is the sign there will be when these things shall come to pass? So here you get them asking the questions they were asking back in Matthew. When do they happen? What will the signs be? And you remember, he's talking to the Jewish people here. You have to pay attention in the New Testament. Who, who is it writing to? Who is he talking to throughout the Bible? Is he talking to the Jews? Is he talking to the Gentiles? Or is he talking to the church? You always have to ask yourself that question. In Luke 21, 20, when, we sh when, when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Verse 24, there shall fall, they, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Key phrase there. This is Jesus answering the question of when the temple was destroyed and Titus took away a lot of Jews. Remember how the, 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 the Romans would march their captives uh, with a parade through Rome. Notice then he says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, I can tell you, that's not completely happened, but it has happened in the city of Jerusalem. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, okay? And we'll get to that in Jerusalem. All right, Luke 20, 28, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift your heads, for your redemption draweth near. So he's saying our redemption is drawing near, and then he goes into this parable in Luke 21, 29, and he said, behold the fig tree. A lot of people miss this, and all the trees. Most of you know 90% of the Bible scholars 
in the world believe that the fig tree is Israel, all right? And when the fig tree shoots forth, all right, that's 1948. And so the fig tree shot forth in 1948. He's saying, look at the fig tree. Notice he says at that point, all the trees. Pay attention to all the trees. The Bible is talking about, i.e., countries there. Behold the fig tree. Look at Israel and all the trees. What trees? The, Bible, the trees the Bible talks about. In verse 32, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now listen, what's that saying? Is Israel became a nation in 1948. The fig tree shot forth i.e., Mac Hammond's generation, my mom's generation, will not pass away before this stuff goes down, before the end, before the rapture, before the tribulation. We're at the end. We are at the end. And so Israel became a nation in 48. Remember the phrase, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled? Well, in Jerusalem, that was in 1967. See, the Jews, even though they had become a country in 48, they did not have Jerusalem. Jordan had Jerusalem, the country of Jordan. In 67, uh, you had an 800,000-man army from Syria, Jordan, and Egypt surround Israel, kind of like what we saw in the Ukraine. Oh, it took time, took four to six months. Israel's singing to the world the whole time. They're, they're going to invade, they're going to invade, they're going to invade. The world did nothing. And, you, and then Israel attacked. They attacked and shocked them and uh, <laughs> dominated, dominated. Won something called the Golan Heights. Took Jerusalem back from the nation of Jordan. And I, you know, when that happened, uh, it, it was just going to be, it was, it, it, they would have won more land. The, the Russians were screaming internationally that they were going to intervene because the Egyptians and the Syrians had all Russian equipment and it was really just being exposed. It, was, it wasn't even fair what was going on between the tanks and the tank battles and the aircraft. Israel just completely dominated this 800,000 man army, won all this land back and since that point, Gentiles have not ruled any part of Jerusalem outside of the Gaza Strip, which George Bush handed over but that's a whole nother story. Gee, what a coincidence. George Bush hands over the Gaza Strip. And then we have Katrina Ravage, New Orleans, days later. So Jesus says, don't only watch the fig tree and the nation of Israel, but pay attention to all the trees. So that's what we're doing today in Ezekiel 38. Remember now, the, uh, the generation that sees Israel reborn shall not pass away. They're going to see the end my father's generation, everybody after him will see every prophecy in the Bible fulfilled. Just to give you some heads up, Ezekiel 36 is prophesying to the actual land of Israel. I'm talking about the land that you walk on, that they live on, not the little sliver of land that they have, but the land they were actually given in the Old Testament. It talks about the land yielding fruit to the Israelis when they come back from being scattered across the world, and they have come back, and they're still coming back. That's documented. They've been coming back for years, and the land that Mark Twain called a desolate wasteland when he, when he visited in the early 1900s is yielding a lot of fruit. 
And in chapter 37, he's actually prophesying to the people of Israel. Hence, we pick up in verse 38. This is absolutely not the battle of Armageddon that we're talking about. I'm going to show you why at the end. There are people out there that believe that, and I'm going to say they are absolutely wrong. And Ezekiel 38, 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. Gog is an evil spirit. It's not a man. And there's people out there that I, I've really... <laughs> There's people out there who say this is a man. I do not believe this is Vladimir Putin, okay? This is the principality above Russia that's always been above Russia, a very powerful principality. It's not a person. It's a spirit. But whether you think it's a person or a spirit, and I believe it's a spirit, most people agree. Some people think Russia is not involved in this. But most people agree that it's talking about the nation of Russia. And I'll tell you this, God loves the Russian people. There are many Russian people that are believers. Uh, and so we're talking about this spirit. Meshach is an ancient name for Moscow, all right? And if we could look at the Amplified in Ezekiel 38.1, it almost spells it out. Or Ezekiel 38.2, son of man, set your face against Gog, that principality of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. When you spell that out, the prince of Rosh, going back to the sons of Noah, we know these sons, uh, these come from the sons of Japheth. It's another way we can place this coming from the region of Russia. I could go really in depth with you trying to tell you and trace back all these people groups. I was reading that the Russians originally came from a group called the Scythians. A lot of books on the Scythians, I've read them myself. They actually went at it with the nation of Rome and the Roman Empire a lot. They were similar to those plains tribes that were really good with horses and moved around a lot, but we're not going to go into this kind of detail with all the people groups. You just need to trust me. This is what most of the scholars say. We know that the sons of Japheth moved. We know where they moved, and we know where they went, all right? That's how we trace them into Russia, and there is a also uh, 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 there's a tubal in Russia, even as we speak today. So we know that this region of Russia and Gog um, uh, is the evil principality that is above Russia and over this area. Verse 3 in Ezekiel 38, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm against the Ogog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. It's talking to the, God is talking to the evil spirit prophesying to the evil spirit. Here's probably the most key verse in the whole chapter, Ezekiel 38, 4. I will turn thee back. I will put hooks in thy jaws. I will bring thee forth and all thy army, horses, horsemen, all of them clothed with sorts, all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers, shields, all of them handling swords. What that's saying is the Lord is going to put a hook in the jaw like in the old days when they would put, like when he had a donkey or a horse that wouldn't go anywhere, they put a metal hook and pull him around by the hook. It's the same principle, all right? And we talked about this a lot on the Final Hour podcast, um, but we'll see when, when we get down to verse 12, it says they've come to take spoil, they're coming to take spoil. Israel has recently discovered in the last couple of years 32 trillion feet, cubic feet of natural gas off their shore. 
in the Mediterranean. And more is being discovered every day. The Europeans buy one-third of their natural gas and good part of their oil from Russia. And obviously, as of now, the Europeans don't like to be beholden like that to Russia. We've got the world boycotting Russia at the same time because of what's going on in the Ukraine. Israel already has natural gas contracts with Egypt and Jordan. Israel's building something called the East Mediterranean Pipeline, which goes through the countries of Cyprus and Greek with its, Greece with its final destination into Europe. It's supposed to be finished by 2025. I've seen estimates that the Russians are losing up to a billion dollars a day to Israel already because of the natural gas. We're talking about a hook in the jaw. So looking at Israel as a replacement to Russia to sell billions and billions of dollars in natural gas to the nations of Europe, we're talking about a hook in the jaw in verse 12, and we'll get there. And the Russians are there to take spoil. And if we could show this map, and we paid for this map, so this map should go to you online, all right? You can see that uh, down in the corner, the, the green country says Egypt, right? And you see the the brown country up to the right was Syria. Well, Israel is that little sliver of land just to the left of Jordan there. And you can see how Russia, it says over and over in Ezekiel 38, they're coming from the north. They're coming from the north, right? It's going to pull them down from the north. Russia has not got far to go. The country of Georgia, and then they're into Turkey, Syria. All right, so they're coming from the north. The Russian ambassador to the UN recently said he no longer recognizes the Golan Heights, which is the mountainous areas in northern Israel, as being part of Israel. So this is all setting up to where the war is supposed to start on the northern border of Israel, according to the Bible. We have the Russians already there. We have the Iranians already there. I'm sure Syria is going to be one of those other countries that is going to be there. But we'll talk about these other countries in the next verse. The reason the Golan Heights is such a big deal, and it always has been, is, uh, even, even uh, Barack Obama was discussing trying to give back the Golan Heights, uh, if, if you remember this. It's, it always comes up every few years ago. They won that in 1967 from Syria. Israel did. It's a strategic advantage. Before the Israelis took the Golan Heights from the Syrians in 67, the Syrians just put a bunch of artillery up there on those mountains, and they were, they were bombing the city of Tiberias over the Sea of Galilee. You look out down the Golan Heights mountains, you can see Tiberias, and you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, you know, the, the famous sea where Jesus walked on the water. If we could show the, the map of the Golan Heights... All right, if we could show that. You can see the nation of Israel, that sliver of land. Notice how it's got the West Bank dotted out. You know, they're trying, even now, your very government is trying to give that, try to give that very land right now, even as we speak to the Palestinians, which it talks about in Joel, that we will be judged if we divide up the land. And this is after they've already come back together. But you can see that Syria and Damascus You can see it's connected to Israel, and you see that little dotted line there, right? And those are those those are those mountains, okay? And and so that's where it's going to be all be happening. I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, we actually witnessed a 
Uh, we were standing looking over into Syria from the Golan Heights and we witnessed an artillery battle. <laughs> a couple of miles off, we saw the explosions between a group called the Druze, who are pro-Israel. Uh, they have, um, they have a, re uh, a religion somewhere between Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, but they go into the Israeli military, they're pro-Israel, and a, and a terrorist group back then called Al-Shabaab, which was an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. You, you this stuff just goes on over there. The Muslim countries that align with Russia that we're about to talk about have a different reason than Russia to attack Israel. There's a different hook in the jaw. If we could just look at some of those allies, Ezekiel um, 38.5, Persia, Ethiopia, uh, Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Torgamah of the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Mom, if you ever want to say anything, Mom, you, you know, the mic's right there, okay, if you want to add anything. So let, she probably knows uh, more about this than I do. And so let's look at verse 5. Persia is one of the allies. We know all Persia, uh, we know Persia is Iran, right? Gee, what a coincidence. They're great friends with Russia. They've been trained by the Russian armed military and given arms since the late 1970s. We know the, um, there, there was a time um, of all the Islamic nations, and some of, them, uh, some of you might be able to remember that when Iran was the friendliest to the West, they were pro-West. We saw the change when Ayatollah Khomeini toppled Iran's government, gained power, and you remember that in the late 70s, early 80s, when they grabbed all those U.S. hostages around that time. Again, we're not coming against uh, these people groups themselves. I believe the Iranian people, if they could get rid of their government, they absolutely would. The Persian people are incredible people, very intelligent people, and the Iranians are the ancestors of the famous Persian in empire. The problem is that their government, which is run by a religious sect uh, headed up by the Ayatollah Khomeini and his mullah Council. So let's look at these verses again. Uh, verse 5 in, in Ezekiel 38, per, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them and all with shield and helmet. Gomer, all his bands, the house of Torgamah of the north quarters and all his bands and many other people. Okay? There's going to be many other people, many other countries. These are Gog, the land of Magog, Russia's allies. This is war. This war is coming. I don't know if it's in the fall. I don't know if it's, if it's uh, in the spring, next spring, per Persia is Iran. Now I really have, to, have dug into this. I've watched podcasts. I've listened to Billy Brent. I've read Chuck Missler has two books on this subject. Jimmy Evans uh, is an eschatology guy. He's not just a marriage guy. He has a podcast um, every day, and he knows a lot more than me. And so I listen to all these people, and they all differ a little when they're calling these countries, just a little. Ethiopia, Billy Brim says, is the nation of Ethiopia. They are not far from Israel if you look on the map. They are just below Sudan. But I was just looking at another expert that said, it's Sudan. It's Sudan. A note on Sudan. People that really follow what's going on will say that Sudan has a peace treaty with Israel. That's because Mike Pompeo, under the previous administration, made them do a treaty uh, with Israel, and the deal was if they would make a peace treaty with Israel, then the U.S. would take them off the watch list 
of terrorist countries, of countries as a terrorist threat. It's a well-known fact that Sudan has always hated Israel. Libya, as we read in verse 6, I heard Billy Bim preach that Gomer is Germany. That is, I would say, 50% of the scholars, the commentators, the preachers that I looked at, and I looked at a lot, I'd say half say Germany is in this fight, and half say they're not. So that's, that's disputed. Right now, in all these countries that I've listed, Germany's the only one that's not lined up. All, what a coincidence. The Bible says 2,500 years ago, all these countries are going to come against Israel. And what a coincidence. They're all allies. They're all good friends. Who is the only one currently lined up with Russia? But, but see, Germany, they're not lined up, but they're in a tough spot because they're in a deal with Russia where they get all their gas and oil from Russia. Togermar is Turkey. But notice it says in verse 6, and many people with these. So it very well could be Ethiopia and Sudan. Well, for sure, it's Syria. Just talking about Syria for a moment. Did you say Egypt, Mom? Did you? Well, Mom thinks China. Okay. Well, many other countries coming with, right? China's a, they're an obvious I mean, that would really give that army some punch, would it not? Okay. Well, for sure, Syria is in there. Um, Talking about Syria for a moment, the ruler of Syria is Assad. His father was the ruler before him. Very oppressive dictators. But his son that's ruling right now is just de facto ruler. The Israelis will tell you, I was just over there, that Syria is completely controlled by Vladimir Putin and Russia. The Russians have a giant navy base right, right now and another army base, right? And so just running through these countries that we know for sure and being, uh, j- just being in Israel, talking to people that I know that pay attention, as of now, a lot of people don't believe that the Jordanians are going to be involved in this, right? That's what we heard. We heard that, me and mom, me and mom heard. But you never know. Okay, what a coincidence. Turkey, the Sudanese, the Syrians, the Iranians, all these guys are all supplied by Russia militarily. As far as the Middle East goes, Turkey is not considered a weak country. They are stout militarily in the Middle East. Iran is stout, right? I just think the Bible called this 2,500 years ago. On the other hand, oh, what a coincidence. The United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, it just happens to be striking the Abraham Peace Accords. These guys aren't mentioned in the Bible, and they're lining up with treaties with Israel. Saudi Arabia lining up with a peace treaty with Israel, okay? So everything's lined up for this. All the players are there. And mom just said, never before have all the players been in line for this. We're talking about a hook in the jaw that not only draws Russia south to the northern border of Israel and all these Muslim countries, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, I'm sure Syria will be there, Libya, have all sworn the destruction of Israel. In the Islamic faith, they believe there's going to be an end of the world as the Quran states it. The Muslims also believe that Jesus is returning. I'm going to say this. I said this a few times last night. 
We believe this is happening before the rapture. Okay? We believe this is, we're going to see this. Right? The Muslim religious leaders, especially in Iran, believe they have been called to destroy Israel as a nation. And they believe that when they do that, and not until they do that, they believe that their Messiah, which is an imam, will return, and he will return with Jesus Christ. And then Jesus will tell the world he's a Muslim. This is what's in the Quran. And then Jesus will call on the world to convert to Islam. That's how they believe the world is going to end. And what has to happen to bring all that about is the Jews have to be pushed out of that land. They have to be destroyed to bring it about. Something else to watch. We talked about this on the Final Hour podcast. We, we go into depth with these things. Your media, all they're doing is talking about uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Okay. Can we put that slide up? I mean, we do it once a week. It's only 30 to 40 minutes. Can we put that slide up? All you got to do to get there, it's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's the final hourpodcast.com. It'll take you to a website and take you straight to it, okay? But we go into depth on these things. But we talked about this. The Muslim world does not believe that Israel will be a nation past this July 22nd, according to their Quran prophecies. So it's a very tense time. The Israelis know this. It's very tense right now. The, the Muslim world believe they'll be destroyed and cease to exist by this July 22nd. Yeah, they're going to be surprised, aren't they not? We're reading an article from a publication called Israel 365 News, which was warning the Israelis of something major being planned or happening from Iran in the coming months. Can't you just see it? Can't you just see something major happening over there and Israel responding militarily like they always do? They always hit back because that's what you have to do in that part of the world or you're considered weak. And then boom, that's what ignites everything. The current administration has allowed Iran to go back to work on their nuclear bomb. As of last summer, the Israeli defense minister said that Iran was only weeks away from developing the amount of enriched uranium they need for a nuclear bomb. That was last summer. There are people in Israel right now that believe that bomb has been developed. It's been developed and there are others saying the bomb is weeks away from being finished. But as of last summer, they had all the uranium they needed. So I'm pretty sure, based on the past, Israel's going to do something about that. And being that all the Iranian nuclear facilities are deep underground, it's going to have to be something very major. On top of that, we talk about we talk about this, these types of things every week on the podcast because there are things happening every week. Even though the Russians are running the country of Syria, the Iranians are in Damascus. Storing weapons, weapons guiding systems. And if you really search for it, you can find out that the Israelis are bombing this Damascus weekly, if not daily. We, we, we don't hear anything but about the Ukraine, Right? And you're not going to see this on CNN because, like I said, they're too concerned with McDonald's new chicken sandwich and the new flavor of Coca-Cola is putting out. In Isaiah 62, 6, it says, I've set a watchman upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. 
You that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Notice it's saying watch from a Jerusalem perspective is what that's saying. Notice it's talking about watching from a Jerusalem perspective. I'm just trying to convince you that Ezekiel 38 war, or some call it the Gog-Magog war, is coming. Verse 7 be thou prepared, be prepared for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Verse 8, after many days thou, thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the nations of Israel, which have always been, been always a waste up until now, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they dwell safely, all of them. Right now, I can honestly tell you, I was just where they had Jacob's Ladder. I mean, I was, uh, where was I? I was in Jerusalem. I was at Shiloh, where, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept for many years. You, you, you can walk around uh, Israel, it might not sound like it, and, and you're safer than in places that if you would be in Minneapolis, St. Paul. This is talking about right now. They're dwelling safely there. Okay, this is the Lord bringing them back after they're scattered. Now they're dwelling safely. Verse 9, thou shalt ascend like a storm. This is Gog and his armies. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and all the people with thee. These are all these armies coming like a storm. Other countries, we don't know how many. Seven to 14 countries probably. Verse 10, and thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind that thou shalt think an evil thought. You know, think about that. Condoleezza Rice had six to 12 meetings with Vladimir Putin. There are many, many people that think he has just lost it. Or, you know, uh, there was a time, I mean, if you study Hitler, there was a time when he was possessed when he received that demon into, them, into him, right? So I'm just, I'm just I'm thinking about that evil thought, you know, um, and, and Putin's state of mind, all right? Uh, verse 11, and, they, and, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars or gates. There's only a couple of walls in Israel, and that's separating certain zones, okay? But if you look at their towns and cities, they are not walled. I just walked around over there safely all over the place. Jacob's, all this place, uh, you know, and, and things, are, there's, it's tense because there's Palestinians killing Jews as of late. Because of this Koran prophecy, I can, but I can be honest with you, it's safer than, than parts of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And in verse 12, why? Why are they there? To take spoil, to take prey, okay? So that's simply talking about the spoil, the 32 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Verse 13, and I'm going to have to paraphrase a lot of this. It can't be like Daniel, you know, every verse that we read. I'm just going to tell you what's there. These are different countries that are questioning why Russia and these guys are doing this. And that's what happens in verse 13. I've seen some commentators go say, oh, the young lions. It talks about the young lions. And they say that that verse is referring to America. Because you know how the British have a lion on a lot of their insignia? 
So naturally, a lot of scholars point to us being the young lions, and we just say, why are you doing this? Right? That's all the help we give them, if it is a, truly us. Verse 14 is simply God questioning the principality Gog and almost kind of challenging him. And so I'm going to paraphrasing scriptures here. Verse 15, reemphasize it's coming from the north. Many countries with them. Verse 16, these armies will come as a cloud covering the land. It's in the latter days. We're talking about now. Paraphrasing verse 18, God says his fury shall come up in his face. Wow. Do we even want to see that? I mean, God is, God's going to look angry. What does that look like? I'm half expecting to hear thunder. Verse 19, and for my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day shall there be a great shaking in the land. Let's read here what God does to close out this chapter. Verse 20, so that the fishes of the sea, the fowls of heaven, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep upon the earth, all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. Everyone's going to see this. This is going to be very public. And the mountains shall be thrown down. Steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Verse 21, I'll call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. Key phrase. 22, I will plead against him with pestilence and blood. And will rain upon him, upon his bands, and upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes at that point of many nations. And they shall know that I am Lord. So it looks like this army just going through these scriptures doesn't get far if it even crosses the border. But if you look at the land that God gave Israel through Abraham, and then he gave it again to Isaac, and then he gave it again to Jacob, it doesn't look like this army even gets more than a few miles. He's going to turn every man's sword against his brother. Um, So we have God pulling something here that he often did in the Old Testament where the armies of Israel, uh, against Israel, all right, would turn against each other and kill each other to a man. I don't know what it looks like in the spirit, but you know, there's an example after example in the Old Testament where allied armies just desecrate each other. And Israel doesn't even pick up a sword. They send the praisers out, right? Okay, so that's, that's what this sounds like. Also, you can see maybe all those missiles being fired, you know, from the planes, the surface-to-surface mobile sites, even from the tanks. Maybe they just turn around and go the other way. <laughs> Maybe, they, maybe, maybe they're firing on each other. You know, the, uh, you, you know, they shoot from a surface-to-surface site, and God just turns that thing around. It says he's going to put pestilence on these armies. It's going to be pestilence with blood. It says it's going to rain upon these armies, all these armies that are with God, an overflowing rain that comes with great hailstones, fire, and brimstones will all be coming from the sky. Verse 23 says, he will be known in the eyes of many nations. You know, the media is going to try to play it off. They're, they're, they're not, you know, the, that God did it because we know the devil is in complete control of the media. 
But God is saying he will be magnified to the Lord. Through, I could see the media saying that Israel shot a nuclear bomb. You know, put a nuclear bomb over there. I, who, who knows, right? And this is where many people believe through this. And when the world sees this, I believe the latter rain will come. The end time harvest will come, especially in the Muslim world. It will definitely come with the Muslims because they respect strengths. And this just crushes all their prophecies. We take this to Ezekiel 39. I'm against thee, O God, verse 2, and I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee. That means if it's an 800,000 man army, that means 165,000 will be left. All right? One sixth will live. Over a half a million will be laying dead. Verse, verse three, and I will smite thy bow out of thy hand and I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. You know, Ezekiel, you know, he didn't know how to explain a tank, a helicopter, a plane. I just wonder if the bow, if he's thinking an arrow is a missile and the bow is the thing that shoots the missile. But I think, I'm just trying to picture what happens here. It says that, um, the arrows fall out of your right hand, right? That means they, they just, maybe they just go over there and explode, right? The bow, the thing that shoots the missile, maybe doesn't work correctly. Verse four, and thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and people that is with thee, and I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beast of the field to be devoured. Now this talks about the ravenous birds of prey. I've preached this before, multiple, multiple birds of prey that have never, ever been to Israel. Suddenly, coincidentally, started showing up a number of years ago. I'm talking about six or seven different species. Never been there. They migrate, they've been migrating there every spring and leaving late fall. And as we're going to see in the later scripture, 865,000 dead men if it's a million man army. That massed against Israel is really hard to clean up. It says they're all, in verse 5, it says they're all going to be laying dead on an open field. And it says, verse 7, the heathen, he says it again, he says it over, the heathen will know I am Lord. The heathen will know. I tend to believe this is talking about, and you'll have many Muslims believe, that Jehovah is God from this Ezekiel war. It says even how they're going to clean it up. It's, it's this, description, this descriptive. That much equipment in a small place like that. Verse 9, and they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the handstaves, the spears. They shall burn them with fire seven years it's too much of equipment to haul out through and over the mountains. They're just going to try to burn them to nothing for seven years. Well, this is not after the rapture then, right? Is Jesus going to be judging the nations while the equipment's still being cleaned up? I'm saying, let's look at the timing of this. It takes them seven years to clean up. This is not Armageddon. There's more tells than that that this is not Armageddon. But a lot of pre people preach this is Armageddon. In verse 10, it's talking about there's so much debris from the tanks and the trucks, from the down planes, from the equipment, they won't be able to move it. They're going to have to burn it. 
burn it till it is nothing. And there's ways to do that. And some of those things are going to be able to, to use because it talks about Israel taking all the spoil they can handle. Think of all the small weapons. Think of all the ammunition. Think of all the anti-tank weapons. Think of all the things that will be left. It says in verse 11, the smell will be unfathomable. Un, you, you won't be able to deal with the smell. And basically, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of men they're going to bury on the spot. In verse 12 of 39, it says it takes them seven months to bury the dead. So you know it's a huge army. You know there's like a six to 800,000 dead bodies out there. It says that in verse 14, that men are going to be given a full-time job of continual employment burying people. It says in verse 15, passers through, those, those are the Jims and the Lins and the Billy Brims. Because we're going over there. This is what it says. It has instructions for them. People are going to want to come see this. And I'm going to go over there and looking at this, it's, what it's, what, and this is going to be a common practice in verse 15. If you find a man's bone, you need to set it up where they can see it. And I bet you they give you something to mark it so they can come bury it. There's just bones everywhere. Verse 17, and thou, son of man, thus saith Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl, to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves. They're already assembled. They're already there and waiting. Been there since 2017. I, I was on a tour over there in 17, and our guide's taking pictures. He's like, yes, this is a new bird. Look at that bird. Wow, that's a big bird, right? What a coincidence, right? They're suddenly there. He's ordering them to help clean up. Assemble yourselves. Come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you. Even a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Verses 19 and 20. You shall eat fat till you be full. All these scared little kids in here, just think about the goodness of God. Okay? This is not, this is not, this is not even happening here. Okay? We're, we're supposed to dominate during this time. Do you understand that? Not be hiding in a bunker. You'll see. You'll see. And so, and so he's talking about drink blood until you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Thus you shall be filled at my table with horses, chariots, mighty men, with all the men of war, saith the Lord. He's, he's going to feed the birds. I would be sh this is not happening after the rapture. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right? Because that means they're still going to be cleaning up from the mess. And on top of that, you have Armageddon, Jesus judging the nations, and it just the timing does not line up. Really, some well-known people are preaching, this is Armageddon. Let me prove to you it's not as we close. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, this is Armageddon right here. It shall come to pass. Now think about how different this sounds. Tell me this is it, two different wars. It shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Two-thirds of the Jews die. Verse 9, I will bring the third part through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined. I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name. I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God. Zechariah 1.14, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For, I, look, I will gather all nations. 
Not 10 to 14. It's not saying anything about Russia. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city goes forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord, then the Lord goes forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Verse four, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Okay, let's just point out, that was Armageddon. No one disputes that's Armageddon. Look at the differences, okay? Ezekiel 38, nothing. You don't hear about one Jew dying, okay? Armageddon, two-thirds of the population dies, okay? Ezekiel 38, unbelievable miracle, all right, that the heathen see. We don't even hear of one Israeli dying in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But yet in Armageddon, only one-third of the population lives. Zechariah 14.2 says, the world, the world is gathered against Jerusalem. It says, all nations. Ezekiel 38 is very clear who it is. Very clear. There's another difference. It says Jerusalem will be taken in Armageddon. It says, that, that, that doesn't say that in Ezekiel 38. It says the houses will be rifled and the women ravished. It doesn't say that in Ezekiel 38, all right? And half the city shall go into captivity. One-third, half of those one-third that live get taken into captivity. It doesn't say anyone's captured in Ezekiel 38, all right? In Ezekiel 38, it doesn't talk about the houses being rifled. It, It doesn't talk about women being raped, half the city going into captivity, it says in Ezekiel 38 that the, the whole world sees it as a miracle for the Jewish people. I don't think that would be seen as a miracle. When, all the, when, when the women of Israel are, are, are raped and ravished and, and, and half of them are taken off, I, I don't think the world would see that as a miracle. The reason Ezekiel 38 and 39 have nothing to do with the Antichrist and I and many people that know a lot more than me believe this is a different war. This is a war that's coming This is a war that brings in the latter rain. It brings in the last harvest. Because the power of God is evident on everybody's cell phone all over the world. You know, we can we can see this. They're going to see stuff falling from the sky. You know, they're not going to be able to hide it. Can we give her a mic? It's totally fine, Mom. I thought it would come earlier. (laughs) Okay. Okay, think about what this is going to do. The whole world. Their TVs, everybody is going to see this miracle. It says nations will say he's God. Okay, who's going to go in there... When they say, oh my God, he's God, and they're going to witness and say, Jesus, all the evangelists, the church, this will be our moment. This will be the time that the glory falls, not just in churches, but all of, think about the guy in North Korea. All the people in North Korea suddenly will see this. They will know this. 
Who's going to witness to them? The church. This is the time of our glory. Go read the, the prophecy of Tommy Hicks about the church. I'm telling you, we need to be getting ready because this is going to be, I mean, we have a, ma when this war happens, you better know you are out of here. You're going to be going somewhere to tell about Jesus. This is an evangelistic move to the world. Right now, there's those nations, you think you're going to get North Korea? You think you're going to go there? No. Something's got to happen with that leader that opens his eyes. This is called eye-opener God, going for world harvest. That's why we here at this church are preparing for world harvest. We're going to be ready to go, all of us. We're going to be all in. Everybody's going to obey God no matter where you get to go. Maybe you go to Iran. All of the nations of the world. This is a God manifestation to the whole world. So that's why we know this will happen before the, before the rapture. We've never known this before, actually. We were always say, well, it might be after the rapture. No, it's gonna, it has to be before the rapture because we have to go get the nations. We have to do our job. I.E. missions, pastors, mission school. Right. We're getting to see. We're getting prepared. Everybody's getting. You say, well, I don't know if I want to go. You want to go. You want to go. People be crying for God after this war. I mean, see, do you see the plan? And this war, I, could, I, I thought I was going to actually be there last week. I was kind of disappointed that it didn't happen <laughs> while I was there. But I, I still might be there. I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, this war is at hand. It could be tomorrow. All nations are lined up. So... So Isaiah 17, 1. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Now you need to tell about that. The burden. <laughs> the key to all this, the big tell is going to be Damascus. Yeah. Which is being bombed on a daily basis by the Israelis. It says, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. This is the big tell when Ezekiel 38 is going to happen. The destruction of Damascus has been prophesied so many times. I just spent 10 to 13 hours with Billy Brim and Shelly Brim. That's the big tell. And you've got Israel so focused, regardless if the Russians are over there, they're bombing Damascus every day because the Iranians are trying to hide stuff in those suburbs, and they've got these underground military bases over there, and, and Damascus is, is going to be a ruinous heap That's what the, Isaiah time. 17 says. The burden of Damascus, it's going to be a ruinous heap. Damascus is the second oldest city in the world and never has it been a ruinous heap. When we see that, when we see the day that Damascus is a ruinous heap, you better know. You better know. Ezekiel 38. And we're right there at that. We're just watching. You see, we're like good little flock of sheep. Watching, doing what Jesus is saying. By you watching you have become a participator in the Bible. Right now, this is what you're doing. You're watching. We're watching all this. And ruling and reigning. Amen? Okay, don't get me going here. All right. 18. Right, so we got to? 
1,800 Bible prophecies, 80% of them have been fulfilled. This is another one that's going to happen that is not yet fulfilled, but I believe we will see it. And I would love to be over there in a rustic cabin in the Golan Heights. Maybe not. And so let's go ahead and close this with communion. You're just like, oh, this isn't a communion week, Jim. But mom, mom told me that I have to do, I should do communion every time I do a service. So I, I am just doing what my mommy told me to do, okay? All right? Think about it, communion. Think, think about this. It's like it's just so overlooked. I mean, why would he give communion? And he calls it, it's communing with him. It's called the Lord's Supper, where he says, think about me. Take, eat, this is my body. It was broken for you. He says, remember me. Think about that. Yeah, man, he's, he's popped the bread in. Yeah, it's first of the month, first of the month. Actually, that's the only reason in the New Testament, Paul says, Corinthians, many of you are weak and sick and die because you're taking communion and you don't even know why you're doing it. You're not discerning his body, okay? They were just haphazardly taking it. And so I just want to read you. Uh, there's so much about communion. I have done three or four teachings on that. You guys can go ahead and hand that out. Hand that out. So um, listen, the matzah, right? The matzah bread is an object lesson of what Jesus symbolizes. The Passover was a shadow of communion. Think about this. They took the communion and the Passover, they ate the matzah bread, and think about this. Not 2.5 million Israelites walk out of there the next day and there was not one feeble or crippled one. And this is, this is Old Testament. It's an object lesson of what Jesus' body symbolizes. The Jewish oral laws give instructions on the preparation of this bread and it should be great interest to us. The laws that the bread that they ate at Passover, which was the, basically the first communion ever taken, the bread was unleavened, baked, pierced with holes, and striped. Till today, the Jewish rabbis do not know why the bread has to be prepared this way. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. This is out of Joseph Prince's book. Health and wholeness through Holy Communion. No leaven was used because the leaven in the Bible represents sin. Jesus is the perfect sinless Son of God. That's why he's able to take the sins, our sins upon himself. His body was burnt with the judgment of God. The full fury of God's wrath against our sins fell on him. This fire was supposed to fall on us and our families, but it fell on Jesus. His side was pierced. He bore those merciless stripes on his back so that our bodies might be made whole. So when you come to the, take communion at the Lord's table, make sure you discern his body as well as the body of Christ. When you partake, believe that Jesus took bread. He broke it because his body was gonna be broken. And as you partake of his broken body, can we, put that, can we put that sculpture up? Know that his body was broken so that yours can be whole. When you partake in this spirit of faith, something begins to happen over time. 
You, should, you can take it every day. Look, they even get, they, see how they give me a little table? So I think it makes them nervous, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing them. They think I'm going to go over, over the stage or something. But So you can sit. Just think, all these things I'm about to say, he, he, he had. We're on him right at this point. Okay? He bore our sicknesses. Every sickness, disease, accident, injury, virus. Every single virus, coronavirus, every variant of the coronavirus, every single, uh, um, every single side effect from any vaccine, low antibodies, low red and white blood cells. He bore hardened arteries, blocked arteries, hardened arteries, blocked arteries, heart plaque. He bore it. He bore it. He bore uh, bl- blood clots. He bore every kind of stroke you could possibly have. Bore it. Bore cancer, colon cancer, liver cancer, prostate cancer, skin cancer. He bore it all. He bore it. He bore um, Alzheimer's, dementia, loss of memory, diabetes, kidney disease, low functioning livers. He bore it. He bore every possible thing the devil could put on you. He bore it. He carried your pain, discomfort, fitful sleep, insomnia, mental anguish, stress, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, oppression, and depression he carried. So he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. See it, Lord. We discern your body. We thank you. And then he took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant. And we just do. We receive absolute remission, forgiveness, and cancellation of every single penalty for every single sin we've ever committed. And in righteousness, we've been established. In triumph, we've been restored. Without the resurrection, there's no righteousness. There's no gift of righteousness. He took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant cut in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. Over every person in here, and we acknowledge we're crucified with you. We died with you, we were buried with you, and we were resurrected from the dead with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we receive our healing. We receive our shalom, peace today. Because the chastisement of our peace is on you on the cross. What causing you not to have peace? It was on him. What's causing you not to have peace? It was on him. Right? It's all, there's so much there. It's all there. So we thank you, Father. I just thank you. I thank you for living word. I thank you for all these these families, Lord. I thank you for our online community. And I pray that you would grant unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the anointing which abides in them teaches them all things, guides them into all truth. They have perfect knowledge of every situation and every circumstance they come up against. They have the wisdom of God today, this week. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming to church, you guys. God bless you.